I want to welcome everyone to the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Um, I'm Bob Burke. I work downstairs in the Social Science and History Department. And uh, tonight it's my pleasure to present Larry Woody, who will be discussing his book, In Black and White. Um, in thinking about this, you know, it occurred to me that I'm sure most of the folks here in the audience are familiar with Harlem Park. But for those of us who may not be originally from, from Baltimore, I thought it would be kind of interesting to uh, get a sense of the different dimensions. Each community has at least two sides to it. Some are even more multidimensional. But here's something that's kind of interesting. This describes Harlem Park. It says, during the Civil War, the square was used by the 3rd Regiment Maryland Veteran Volunteers as a campground. Later developed into a park with four Victorian-built churches known during the late 1800s as Church Square, of which the buildings still survive today. Homes in the area are mainly three-story row houses built in the late 1920s in Italianate design with marble ornaments, spacious rooms, marble fireplaces, elegant staircases, and nice backyards. Does that sound like, like Harlem Park to you? But then, and you got to remember... <laughs> Now, you've got to remember, though, everybody, everybody comes to it from his or her own perspective. Now, the job of the folks who published this is to get people to come in and buy homes and invest, which is what you want in any community. So it's the, they, they actually assigned the community personality to it. And the community personality is charming, involved, unique, up-and-coming, working class. A very interesting characterization. Now, let's jump to another source real fast. This is out of the Afro-American. Widespread feud between youthful gangs claimed its third victim Tuesday night when Calvin Hines, 19, 613 North Calhoun Street, was mortally wounded when shot by Frank Ward, 18, 710 Perry Street, during an argument over a pair of roller skates in Harlem Park. Now, the date on this article, September 27, 1930. So it's very interesting. Some things change, some things don't necessarily change. So you see there's that, there's that um, uh, element of, of trouble there, too. But then the last thing on here, this is really good. This is from the Afro-American of May 11, 1968. Dear Mr. W, how is everything at Harlem Park? Everything is just great here. At first, the work seemed a bit hard, but I appear to be getting the hang of it now. I managed to get on the football team, not a permanent position, but at least I'm a part of the team. This is a portion of a letter from a former Harlem Park junior high school student presently enrolled at Riverdale County Country School, Bronx, New York, on a better chance, ABC scholarship, to continue his secondary studies at a private school. Now, down at the bottom of this article, it says four more Harlem Park students have been accepted for private schools. Three of the students are ABC applicants. Third person listed here is Larry Woody, eighth grade, St. Paul School, Concord, New Hampshire, scholarship $2,900. So I'm going to throw the ball over to Larry so he can continue this discussion of his odyssey that takes him from Harlem Park to Philadelphia and a successful career. Larry Woody. 
$2,900 was a scholarship? Yeah, it's like, I wouldn't have gotten a, a day at St. Paul's. I, I don't know, that figure is, is high. Good evening, everybody, and thank you for coming. Um, it's really nice to see some of these faces in here. Um, you know, uh, I see people from all over the place, from a lot of things I've done, you know, the, direct, the director from my acting career, Steve Yeager, a couple St. Paul's guys are here, which is uh, typical because St. Paul's guys stick together. Uh, you know, my sister, brother, and, most, and a lot of the people that I've grown up with. Um, and I'm glad you're all here so I can talk about this book. You know, although I'm not going to bore you about this book because it's, um, it's, it, it's actually a little bit difficult for me to do this. You know, Jaeger knows I loved acting, but I'm always hiding behind a character. But now this is me talking about me, which is really weird. Because when I wrote the book, I really, you know, the book's called a memoir. But I did not set out to write a book about me. I actually set out to write a book about the neighborhood that I'd grown up in and the school that I'd gone to because, you know, I felt that my story really, I mean, it, you know, it's a dime a dozen. A lot of guys have gone through sort of what I've gone through, you know, out of the hood, the whole thing. But I really wanted to um, write about the neighborhood. And what happened was I, I saw... Um, the HBO special The Corner, um, which was directed by Rock Dutton. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm listening to it, and a lot of streets they're talking about are the streets that I grew up on, you know. And that was a very dark, kind of depressing piece, you know, about heroin addiction. And, of course, it was a, a more present time. But, you know, I looked at the guys who wrote it, and they're great writers, you know. I mean, they did Homicide and, and that whole thing. But the thing is, they were writing about the neighborhood of Harlem Park, but they didn't grow up there. They didn't live there. What they did, basically, was they went there, and they spent some time there talking to people, and they wrote about the neighborhood based on the interviews that they had with these people. And I, I looked at that, I read the book, and I said, I can tell this story better. And so I decided to, um, to write it. That was one of the motivations for, for writing the book. The other was, and initially, the book was supposed to be a very tiny book. I didn't want it to be longer than 190 pages. Um, I, had a particular, I had that number in mind for a special reason. I didn't want it, and it was just going to be about mostly Harlem Park. I was just going to mention the boarding school thing um, I was going to just mention it, but, you know, it, it, it started to grow. Um, I really wanted to write something for the boys from the hood. I wanted to write something that the brothers from Harlem Park would also read. Now, I know a lot of those guys don't read, but I thought if I did a good enough job, if I could show the street life, the whole thing, that they would say, oh, yeah, yeah I'll read that. But um, uh, I, I, I presented the book. I got an agent um, in New York. And, you know, she read the piece, you know, about Harlem Park. And I remember she, she called me up and she said, you know, she read about, there was one guy in the book, Tony Stewart. And Tony Stewart was a big character because he was a big character in my life. You know, Tony, Tony Stewart was a street thug. I mean, it's hard, I can't put it any, any, any more polite. He was a street thug. But, but Tony had a big influence on me. 
And the original manuscript basically talked about Tony and, you know, how, you know, he ended up on heroin and, you know, Tony, Tony ended up sort of badly, but, but not tragically. She said that she read it and she read how Tony ended up and it made her cry. And that's what made her call me up and say she wanted to represent me because she wanted that story told. But um, once I started talking to her, you know, I, she found out about the whole boarding school St. Paul's thing. And she said, oh, she says, you've got to tell this story. And in my mind, I wanted to write about Harlem Park. And then what I would do is the, the St. Paul's book was going to be another, another project because I felt that was like a huge project, a huge story to tell. But what she, what she kind of convinced me of was that, you know, there were parallels between the two stories. And actually, as the, in the book, if you read it, you'll see that they were. In other words, what I went through in Harlem Park, it, it, it kind of went on the same line as what I went through in boarding school. Now, it's kind of hard to believe because they're totally different places. I mean, Harlem Park was the hood, and a boarding school with this sort of elite place, you know, um, out in the country. But actually, the experience was a lot the same. You know, now, you know, I grew up, I mean, I was born here in Baltimore. You know, I grew up in Cherry Hill originally. And it's interesting talking to Baltimore people because people know where Cherry Hill is. You know, a lot of people read, they have no idea of these places. They only get it from what I write. But, um, but you know, I... Cherry Hill was a different place. We're talking about 1960 and 1960s, the late 50s, you know, because um, I've been around a long time. But, uh, uh, you know, Cherry Hill was like a fun place, you know. Um, now, people think of it as mean and hard, but when I was there, it was fun. You know, like, you know, people actually did leave their doors open. It was kind of like living in the projects, except... There wasn't a lot of killing and stuff. You know, there was just kids and woods and, you know, skates and all that kind of stuff. You know, it was, it was great. But we left um, Cherry Hill and came to Harlem Park um, in uh, 1963. We moved on Edmondson Avenue. And this was a totally different sort of place. Um, I mean, different from Cherry Hill. But... You know, I wanted to tell the story of Harlem Park because, you know, I wanted to tell about when, when the community was slightly different, when it was really, when there really was a sense of community there. You know, now people tend to look back, there's a saying that things ain't like they used to be and never was, and that's true. But, you know, Harlem Park was different, you know, back then. It was before the heroin came. Now, the corner was about Harlem Park once the heroin was there but I was writing about it before it came and I saw it come I remember it you know I was like a fairly good student I read a lot and you know of all my friends Bruce here has grown up with me all my life you know we talk about it I remember everybody I remember everything if you read the book, I actually recreate conversations because very often I remember exactly what people said because I was always paying attention. I read everything. I read all the time. That was my job in our group was to be the guy to know stuff. The other guys could do things, but I knew things. You guys probably went through the same thing. That's how, you know, if you're that kind of guy, that's how we ended up at St. Paul's. We know things. 
Um, so, you know, I did a lot of reading. You know, I, I, I was like, I almost felt like I was studying my life as I was living my life, not knowing that someday I would be writing about it. But I was checking these guys out. You know, I was, um, I was looking at what they did. Now, like a lot of kids, you know, who live up, who grow up in a tough neighborhood, <clears throat> I idolize the tough guys. Now, people say, well, you shouldn't because, you know, they steal, they cheat, they do this, they do that, you know. And I was telling Bruce earlier today that, you know, what I did was, you know, when I say I idolized them, I took the best parts of them, and that's what I was drawn to. I mean, I didn't want to sell drugs. I didn't want to shoot people or whatever. But what I liked about them was that they were tough, stand-up guys that would, you know, you get in a fight, they're not going to run, they're going to stand there, they're going to be right with you. You live in the neighborhood, you really don't have to be scared because these guys aren't going to let anybody mess with you if you live in their neighborhood. That's just the way it was. And that's what I wanted to write about. I'm, I'm saying, you know, you got guys like Tony Stewart, or you got guys like Kennard, you know, people say Kennard's a drug dealer. Nah, Kennard's like Kennard from up the way, from up Carrollton Avenue. That's who he was to me. You know, and I know he, I know he was dealing heroin, you know, but I knew him as Kennard who lived up there on Carrollton Avenue. And Kennard's and not going to let anything happen to me. You know, so... I'm studying these guys all this time. At the same time, the other part was that these guys knew that I was a student, you know, kind of a nerd, you know, kind of studious, that sort of thing. And they actually encouraged me to do that. You know, we're not going to let Woody get, you know, well, actually, people, they call me Larry. Everybody calls me Woody, but back, but back then I was Larry. But we're not going to let any, Larry get involved in involved in anything bad because he's a student, school's his thing. When I call the school hustle, that was my thing. But those guys weren't going to let me kind of get away from that. Anything going to happen, you need to go home, you know, because you can't be around for this. Um, so I'm dealing, you know, I'm at Harlem Park. When I got in there, you know, as I say in the book, I was terrified to go to the junior high school because... I was, here, you know, I was in the first group of kids there, but I went to the elementary school. But going to the junior high school was kind of scary to me. You know, a lot of people in Harlem Park actually went to schools outside of Harlem Park because they didn't want to go there. But to me, that was kind of punking out. So I just kind of put it together and went on over there, you know. And I was surprised that I did well. Because I, I had no idea that there was anything special about me. I really didn't. You know, I thought that, I was just like all the other kids. And I knew that I liked to read, and I, and I did like school. You know, I remember the name of every teacher I ever had, you know, every single name, you know, because they were my role models. They were really important to me, just like the thugs were really important to me. I mean, they all brought something to me that I borrowed from. And that's sort of what made me kind of how I, I am. You know, just taking from this person, taking from that person, you know, from my parents. My, you know, my father's a preacher. I hated going to church. But, you know, he was kind of a, he read a lot. You know, he used to do spelling bees in the house, you know. So there was something I could get from everybody, and I took something from everybody. But I, I um... You know, I was surprised that I did well at Harlem Park, and I mean, I did really well. Now, to put that in context, you know, 
I'm sure these guys, they, you know, these are, these are fellow St. Paul students. You know, we were all the smartest kids from the schools we came from, you know, and we thought we had it all together, you know. But then you get that, you know, I got that scholarship, and I went up to St. Paul's, and it was an eye-opener. I mean, it was an eye-opener because I just had no idea. I had no idea of that world. You know, I never, I knew nothing about boarding schools. I knew nothing about that other world. I mean, Harlem Park in 1968 was 100% black. There were no white people anywhere. You know, there were, I, I'd never gone to school with a white child. I never had a white teacher until I, until I left Harlem Park. Never. So you're very comfortable in who you are. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I was very comfortable in myself. Um, and this was a, a little bit before the whole black power movement, with the, which the younger people in here know nothing about probably, but it was there on the horizon. It was coming. You know, we we're talking about 1966, 67, 65, you know, but during that time, and this book was another reason I wanted to write it was because I was writing about the times. And we're talking about when Malcolm X was assassinated, you know, Robert Kennedy, not long after John, I, I mentioned, I write about John F. Kennedy being assassinated, um, you know, um, um, Martin Luther King. It was in a, it was a, a very volatile time in this country. There was a lot going on. And people, it was kind of hard to like ignore it or not to get swept up in it. Um, so, I mean, I'm a product of the times and, you know, I'm a product of the neighborhood that I came from. So I got that scholarship. You know, I had also gotten a scholarship to a, a military school and I went to look at it and I remember thinking, there's no way I'm going to this place. Because those guys, you know, I, I remember going in there, and at one point I heard this chip sound, and that was those guys marching to lunch. I, I said, I can't, I, I can't do that. But, um, and I didn't really know what, what um, Harlem, what um, St. Paul's was going to be like. Now, there was a program called A Better Chance. A Better, a Better Chance started in 1963. Um, but I, I got involved with it in 1965 and 1968. Um, and a better chance was a scholarship program. Now, for the younger people around, it still exists, and they are still looking for kids to send them away to boarding schools, private schools, you know, elite schools all over the country. But the first two years of Holland Park, I did really well. Almost a straight-A student, not quite, but almost. And, um, you know, I was considered, you know... I, there was a guy named Joel Finney who was the smartest guy in the school. And I saw him, and um, I saw him in a, 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 an assembly. And he was up there, and he was talking. And I'd heard about this guy. You know, he's the smartest guy in the school. So you wonder, what does a guy like that look like? So I saw him up on the stage, and I remember he had a toothpick in his mouth, and he kept clowning around. And they were trying to put things together, but he was like a clown. But that actually encouraged me because... You know, you got this thing where if you're a smart kid, other people pick on you, you know. But Joel Finney wasn't a punk, you know. He was, like, kind of slick. And I realized then that, okay, I can be both things. You know, again, I could be like Tony Stewart and those guys, but I can also do the school thing. I can do them both. That's sort of the message throughout the book that I'm trying to communicate to young people, that, you know, you don't have to be a thug 
And you don't have to just be a bookworm. There's a middle place that you can be where you can get along, you know. Like I found out, you know, if you can, if you can, if you can do things, if you're a good athlete, that takes you a long way. So I try, to com- I, I try to combine all those things, being a good athlete, being a good student, a little bit of a wise ass, you know, all of those things. But it worked out. But after two years at Holland Park, I, I, I really started to, um, things were starting to slide. The grades were starting to slip. I was starting to be a little bit of a knucklehead. But I was lucky. I had a counselor, Adele Fing, um, who was my guidance counselor, and she saw the slip. She said, we got to get you out of here, you know, because she said, if, we, if you stay here, you're going to be a knucklehead, you know. Um, so she um, got me into the ABC program. The ABC program, basically, they test you, and they're testing, you know, black kids, poor whites, Native Americans, Puerto Ricans from all over the country. You take a test, and if you have an interest in a boarding school, they send your scores there. But see, I didn't know anything about boarding school, so what they did for me was they just sent it out blanket just just sent it out and so St. Paul's picked me because I didn't pick them I didn't know I knew nothing about it and it was in Concord New Hampshire I had no idea where that was the whole New England thing you know I thought England but this isn't England this is the United States you know but you know I mean I, I really had a hard time putting it putting it together but you know immediately I got a letter from once I was accepted and um um you know, I remember filling out the application because they asked you how much, how much would my family contribute to my education. You know, now, I don't remember, I can't remember what the tuition was back then. Do you guys remember about around where it was? Yeah, right, yeah, right. Well, when they asked me how much could my parents contribute, first I put zero. You know, <laughs> and then my, my counselor says, no, we got to put something down, so we put $20. <laughs> And, 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 and that's, but they gave me a full scholarship. Um, and, um, and, you know, and they, you know, they sent me a plane ticket. I'd never been on a plane, you know. And so I got on a plane. I'm on my way up to St. Paul's. And I don't know what I'm in for, but, you know, I had a feeling it was going to be special. And so I get up there, and it was another world. I mean, remind, remember, I'm coming from Holland Park, which is 100% black. Everybody's black. And now I'm on a campus where everybody's white. But this is 1968. So the school was opening. They were trying to diversify. So they were bringing in minority students from all over, all over the place. So, that, you know, Puerto Ricans from New York, you know, guys from Washington, D.C., guys from Chicago, that sort of thing were coming in. But that first year, when I came in, there were already, there already had been some black students there. But, you know, I've talked to people that were there before I got there, and they said, well, you know, the black guys there, were, they would do it in quotes, because, you know, they said they were so light-skinned, you, 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 you couldn't tell that they were black, you know, like, you know, I mean, these were guys, you know, like, I, I, know, one, I know the first black guy to graduate from St. Paul's, and I'm pretty sure of this, is because uh, this editor told me this, that it was a guy named, um, I can't remember his name, but his father was the president of Tuskegee, you know. They're, these are kids from wealthy black families. But when I came in, they were bringing in kids from the inner city. And I write in the book, and I'll say it here. They had no idea what they were opening themselves up to. Because, you know, now, the first year was relatively mild. I came in in 68. There were about, uh, you know, seven or eight of us black guys, Puerto Rican guys. 
And up there, we kind of bonded together. Black guys, Puerto Rican guys hung very tough. Um, and, and the Native Americans, actually. But um, there were only a few of us. And the first year I spent, the first year was really hard. Now, as I said, I was, a, I was the smartest kid in the school by the time I left Harlem Park. The first year, I couldn't pass anything. It was just, it was really humbling. Because I had never been challenged the way I was that first year. You know, I was talking to Kevin Gover recently, and he was saying, you know, Kevin Gover is a, a Native American who's, um, what is he, director of the Smithsonian Museum, Museum of American, something like that, Indian Museum. And, he, you know, he said, you know, he had never done homework before he went to St. Paul's. I was pretty much the same way. I mean, basically, I was used to people accepting my first effort. That did not fly with these people up here. And the thing is, you know, I, I wasn't, there was, they were very welcoming to us. I mean, the school opened its doors to us. They were really on board with trying to diversify that community. These kids, these, these very, very incredibly wealthy white kids had never seen guys like us. I mean, you know, I'm saying the, the, the black guys that were there before were a different kind of guy. We were in, hardcore inner city guys, but re, not really, though. The only, there was me and there was Wilshire. We were the only two really sort of hardcore. The other guys were kind of from suburban communities, you know. But the second year, you know, um, now I struggled through that first year just trying to pass. It was really hard. And I, I kept thinking, I, I kind of thought they were picking on me. And I used to always say, you know, y'all people don't treat me nice. I'm going to get the NAACP in here. And y'all going to have to answer to them. You know, I was like, but I'm making excuses because I can't cut it. You know, it was, it was just really hard. I mean, they really were demanding a lot. And, and what I remember was, you know, you would write something, and they would hand it back, and they would say, but what do you think? And so I would write it again. And they would hand it back, and they would say, this is good, but what do you think? And I couldn't understand what they were trying to get at, you know. But what they really meant was, what do you think? Because, you know... In public school, basically, you write a book report, you go to the encyclopedia, you know, you get it straight out of there, you know, as long as you put in enough facts, you're going to get a great grade. That ain't going to fly with these people. They want analysis. They want to know what you think. They are committed to shaping your mind in a way that you do critical thinking. I mean, you, you know, you've got to be able to read something, absorb it, figure it out, and put it back to them in a way where it becomes yours. That's the difference between, you know, learning and being, I mean, an education and being well-educated. But, of course, I didn't understand it at first. It seemed to me like they were just being unfair. But they weren't, you know. And I I quickly realized, you know, that it was on me. It was on me as, you know, as to whether or not I'm going to, like, make it here. Um, now, the second year, uh, which is, you know, my fourth form year, but that's the 10th grade year, the first year in 68, the school changed. But the second year, the school changed because they brought in some good, <laughs> there was a couple of guys. They brought in a guy named John Cook from White Plains, New York, and Robert Hip from White Plains, New York, and a few other guys. I'm, you came maybe the year after them, right? Yeah, the next year, right. 
Well, these guys were hardcore New Yorkers. And me, the first year, I just struggled, trying to keep my head down, mess with anybody, just trying to get by. But when these guys came in, these guys came in loud and noisy, and it was like, oh, boy, it's on now because I got some guys that are like me. And so we turned that joint out. I'm telling you, we turned that sucker out. By that, I mean, these guys were good students. So now I realize that I've got to match them. I want to be a good student. But they were good athletes, you know, and they were slightly thuggish, you know, kind of like they, they were a lot like me. They, they, they weren't guys that were stealing, shooting, killing, but they hung with those guys, and they knew how those guys operated. And so we, that's when I, fe- I felt that we brought something, that we brought the diversity to St. Paul's. Now, I write in the book that in some ways that was a good thing. In some ways it was a bad thing. It was bad because after that first year, I spent almost all of my time with just the black guys and just the Spanish guys and just the Native Americans. The first year, I knew almost I knew all the guys in my class. You know, because your classes are small. There's only like 90 guys in the class. You knew everybody, and I knew them all. I went to a lot of the events. Um, you know, and it was a very welcoming community. There was a lot going on. They believed, you know, that the you know. They believed in sort of like letting you experiment, you know, and I, I, um, I kind of wish that I had maintained more of that mindset I had the first year of reaching out and experiencing things because after that first year, I kind of shut it down and just tried to maintain my grades, but my grades got better, and by, you know, somewhere in the middle of that second year, I felt that I'd achieved parity with these kids who had gone to boarding schools, private schools, all their lives. Um, and, you know, some of them were, I mean, so brilliant, it was spooky. You know, the way, you know, the, 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 I mean, I, I watched the way they studied, and I watched the way they applied themselves. But, you know, I, I've tried to analyze what St. Paul's does, you know, because, like, I'm, I'm, when I, you know, we talk about boarding schools. St. Paul's one, is one of the elites of the boarding schools. You know, it's been around for, since 1860-something, 1860, yeah, right. They've got this thing down. And I don't know how they do what they do, and I tried to write about this. But the way you're educated there is just, I, I, it, it baffles me because you can't go there and come out and not come out well-educated. You can't. They won't allow anything else. They never let up. They never stop. I mean, they can be overbearing, but they never let you take the easy way out. There's just, that's just not an option. You must learn here. And I learned to learn. And that has stayed with me to this day. I met a guy one of the first years who had, who had graduated, and I, I remember listening to him, and I was listening to the way he was talking. I was like, boy, man, you know, I mean, you know, I remember he was talking to us and he said, you know, well, you know, I feel a little ambivalent about the way I am here. And like we were having a black student union meeting and everybody started laughing because like nobody knew what the word ambivalent meant. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, because I mean, you know, we didn't know, but we didn't want to admit we didn't know, you know. But 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 one guy, Wilshire was the brave one. Wilshire was like, everybody's laughing because they don't know what that word means, you know. 
but 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 what it was was I watched the the the, the ease with which he communicated, you know, the confidence that that came from him, and I remember I said, I want that, I want that kind of confidence. I want to I want to be able to move like that. I mean, even now as I stand up here, I'm never I'm never nervous, you know, because you're taught to lead, you're taught to express yourself. You feel very confident in what you know, and you know something. You don't think you know it. You actually know some things when you come out. So it was a really good experience for me. People experienced it differently. Now, I write about the book. In the book, at the end of the book, I talk about a few of the guys that graduated with me. Everybody doesn't do so well. Um, you know, there was one guy in my class, a guy named Mike Russell, and Mike Russell was one of my best friends. Mike Russell was a black guy from the Eastern Shore of Maryland. Mike Russell was brilliant. Brilliant. An outstanding athlete, an outstanding student. But of course, he had a hard time. He had a hard time because we gave him a hard time. You know, like actually, we basically, we gave Mike a hard time. That's all, I'll put it that way. I'll let people read it. You know, because I really don't. I really don't want to tell people what to think. I, I, like, them, I, I like people to read it and then they'll decide. But, but Mike was brilliant. Mike graduated from St. Paul's and he went to Harvard. Um, a guy, John Cook, went, another guy in my class, John Cook, went to Princeton. Hip went to Tufts. Nelson went to Brown. Everybody basically went to Ivy League schools. I didn't because when I, by the time I was ready to graduate from St. Paul's, I felt so prepared that... But I also knew I didn't want to do four more years at St. Paul's. And I felt that if I went to Harvard or went to Yale, it's like four more years of boarding school. I, didn't want to go to, I, I just didn't want to be around the same guys for four more years. Not that I didn't like them, but I had enough of it. You know, I wanted to sort of get back to what I felt was the real world. So I actually went to Temple in Philadelphia. And believe me, the, the, the college counselor up there is livid. You know, like, you don't go to St. Paul's and go to Temple University. You just don't do that. You know, this thing is like, you know, are you out of your mind? And, and he tried to talk me out of it. And sometimes when I look back, I think that, well, maybe I wish he had, you know, but, um, but it worked out, you know. But he tried to talk me out of it because it's like, you know, you, you, know, you need to go to Yale, one of these places where, you know, you can, you can maintain these contacts that you make. And believe me, the kids that you're meeting, these are the very elite, the, the top, I mean, they rule America, the companies, everything, I'm, you know. I mean, some of the alumnus would be, you know, John Kerry, who ran for president, uh, the, head of the, the current head of the FBI, uh, Gary, uh, uh, was it Gary Trudeau, who writes Doonesbury, Judd Nelson, the actor. Um, actually, he's like an anomaly because, like, you know, you really don't, you don't go to St. Paul's and become an actor. That, you know, they're kind of snobbish in that way, you know. Like, you got to do, you got to become a lawyer or something else. You know, you, you don't become an actor, which is what I did, you know, because I was still rebellious. I'm going to do exactly what they don't want me to do. You know, but the thing is, I got the education, you know, so, so I can do pretty much whatever I want, and I still feel that today. I can do whatever I want because I am thoroughly prepared, and I've done a lot of different things. I mean, I, you know, people took different tracks, but some of the other guys, uh, there's a friend of mine who went to St. Paul's named Ed Shockley, and he wants to write about this. He calls it like the crash and burn phenomenon because, I'm sorry? Oh, oh. Well, um, he, um, he caused it a crash and burn because some of the guys actually came out and they felt that the world owed them something. And so they, um, 
they had a hard time adjusting to life after St. Paul's. Bernard, my nephew. <laughs> Olympic gold medalist Bernard Williams. <laughs> my nephew, uh, 2000 Olympic gold medalist and 2004 civil medalist. Uh, all the way from Florida. You're, you're a hell of a kid. Um, <laughs> um, but Dick here came from Philadelphia. I'm amazed. But, but um, everybody didn't do so well. You know, it, it, um, some guys had trouble adjusting to, you know, going back to the community. Me, I, I was determined to go back to my, my community. But now, again, this is, ninth, this is the 60s. And in the 60s, what Malcolm was saying, what Martin Luther King was saying, what they, all they were saying was, you get the education, then you come back to the community, and you help out the community, and I believe that. Now, you might call me a sucker, but I actually believe that, and I still do today that that's why we got what we got was to help the community from whence we came. But a lot of guys basically couldn't go back to those communities. They just couldn't, they didn't feel it anymore. And, you know, Mike Russell, brilliant guy, but he basically ended up, he died on the streets of Philadelphia smoking crack, you know. Um, and, it, it, and, and I saw Mike. You know, I ran into him one day on the street, and I was like, Mike, what are you doing here? And I, and I was just, I was stunned because... You know, he was working in, on Madison Avenue, and he was doing well, but, you know, Mike had some inner demons, and he just couldn't, he couldn't pull it together. It was really tragic. It, it, it you know, it, I don't know, I don't know what went on with Mike. You know, I, I mean, there was a, uh, you know, again, it's in the book. I, you know, I, I'll let people decide. I hate to tell people what to think, and I hate to, to tell people what I think, because I don't, I don't want to influence people. I want them to get it on their own, you know. And if you read the book, you'll, if you read between the lines, I'm saying it all about somebody like Mike. But, but even another guy, John Cook. John Cook was the head of our Black Student Union. John Cook was admired by everybody, but Cook had a hard time after St. Paul's. I mean, he just, he actually went back and taught there. But, um, but he, you know, he got fired, and then, you know, he, he ended up going to jail. He did a year in jail, and... Um, uh, and he's still struggling today, but this guy's got a brilliant mind. I mean, he's like, you know, history was his thing. You know, he's got a, he's got a, uh, he's, he's, I know he's got a master's degree. I don't know if he has a PhD, but, um, but everybody didn't do so well. But, you know, you look at a guy like Barack Obama. You know, Barack Obama, I find interesting because, you know, he sort of went to a private school. I don't know if it was really private school, but... But I look at him, Barack Obama would have been a few years behind us. So we were the guys that basically came in, and, and Billy Gober puts this really well. You know, he says, you know, it was like we were the first to hit the beaches. And we took some hits. And we were the first one. We kicked the door in, came in, set the tone, and then people like Barack Obama kind of came in afterwards. You know, so I look at him. I know 100 guys just like him. People think that he's kind of unusual, whatever. Nope, there's one, there's one. These are, these are guys that are just as bright, just as smart. But, you know, we came in, kicked the door down for these guys that came behind. And they came in and they did okay. But a lot of the guys that came in when I, when, I got, when I got there, and I was one of the first, didn't do so well. And it's kind of sad, but that's the way it goes. I mean, the casualties and everything. And, you know, I mean, there was, a, you know, you had to learn how to like use this thing that you got. Um, so I write about you know I I covered all I cover all of this in the book. It, it, the book grew from a 190 page book that I just wanted to write for the brothers into this 400 page book that basically shows the journey from Harlem Park all the way 
to St. Paul's, and then I cover a bit afterwards. You know, now what I've done afterwards is, you know, I, I wasn't the Wall Street type or whatever. You know, I, I'm basically, I'm, right now I'm a social worker. And I work with, um, I work for a program called Focus on Fathers, working with fathers trying to get them to connect with their kids. And again, this is what Malcolm was talking about. This is what Martin Luther King was talking about. You get the education, you come back and you help the brothers. And mostly I'm, I'm working with like poor black guys trying to get them to understand the importance of males in children's lives. And the thing is, I feel that because of all that I went through, I'm uniquely qualified to explain it to them. And I reach them in a way that other people, I think, can't. For one thing, I relate to them because I'm from the same place. You know, I don't, there's no elitism about me. I understand these guys. And I understand how they don't get the message of the importance of men in a child's life. But I'm explaining it to them all the time. You know, now, a lot of times when I walk in, they look at me and it's like, they're like cracking up. Because they, 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 they look at me as this very sort of preppy, conservative, whatever. They have no idea where I've come from because, you know, because of the way I talk. But, you know, I'd long since gotten over being offended by that. Because, when, you know, the first few years after St. Paul's, when I came back to the neighborhood, everybody made fun of the way I talked. Oh, all y'all did. You know, it's like, you know yeah, yeah, he, sound, he sounds like a white boy, he doesn't have, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it's like, you know, but, but, but the thing is, you know, I can code switch. You know, I can do that whole street thing. I can also do the whole preppy thing, you know. Um, a lot of people ask me, why did I write the book? And basically, there was a story to tell, but I, I actually wrote it for younger people because I kind of want them to get that, you know, being a high achiever, being a good student, you can be both. You can be cool. You can be, you can be it all. You know, you just have to be careful in what you borrow from the, the, the badder elements. You know, you got to be, but you can borrow from them all and you can use it all. And I've done, you know, I've, you know, I've worked as an actor, singer-songwriter, you know, um, work with uh, early Head Start program, early Head Start program, program, working with young kids. Um, I've, I've had a lot of different careers, but I feel I can do that because I'm prepared and I know quite a few things. You know, you can you can do this, you can do that, and I try a lot of things, and I encourage people to do that. You know, just get yourself prepared. And then live your life the way you want. That's what you can do. You can do what you want after that. But you got to get prepared first. You can't just expect it to be handed, it to, handed to you. So anyway, that's the story. I'm glad to see all you people. And I'm glad to see some young people in here. And, you know, now this book, I'll tell you, it's a little raw. I pulled no punches. I actually, I was talking to uh, Dan Rodericks, you know, today about the book, and he was saying, yeah, it's a little edgy, you know, it's a little raw, you know, and I said, yeah, I did that on purpose, as I can tell you did, because, you know, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't pull punches on the language, you know, and what he said was, you know, I'm from, you know, he's from New England somewhere, and, you know, came to Baltimore late, but he, he was interested in how Harlem Park was back then, and actually, in many ways, that's what I had in mind. I wanted people that had never had that experience to get a sense of what's really going on down there from somebody who actually lived there. You know, the way these people talk, what they're dealing with every day, 
you know, the way that, what the kids have to deal with, the, you know, the fear, the, you know, trying to, trying to just survive the whole thing. But, you know, there's a sort of a language that goes on there, and I wrote into that language so that people can kind of get a sense of it. And the thing is, I thought I could do that because I know how to do the straight thing, you know. And the book basically kind of goes through that. I, I go through, you know, the whole street thing in the beginning, and you can see sort of like the evolution as I become better educated and the whole thing. You can see it. You know, I was trying to show it with language because you learn to use language well. You guys will decide whether or not I do that. Thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it.